We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Ozzy Flowers, co-founder of The Good Fight. Ozzy knew in college he wanted to do something to make a difference. After earning an MBA, he soon came to the conclusion that he needed to be an entrepreneur and founded and ran a marketing agency. When COVID hit, though, he realized he had to make a change as his agency focused on leisure travel. He used the opportunity to go back to his desire to find solutions for problems in the world. He applies what he's learned in marketing to figure out how to improve the digital marketing space, help companies, and also help causes he cares about. The Good Fight has developed a method to both engage consumers and also give both businesses and consumers ways to donate to charitable causes. Ozzy and his co-founder developed their business to address three problems. One, the wariness factor of consumers in online marketing. Two, the struggle for charities to raise funds, and three, the need for companies to stand out. By combining company advertising with people's desires to help others, The Good Fight hopes to be a solution to all three of these problems. Ozzy is a prime example of entrepreneurs looking at the current crisis and taking on the challenge of doing better and finding solutions to problems. Now, let's get better together. Ozzy Flowers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I appreciate you uh, reaching out. Uh, we met on uh, matchmaker.fm, yet another guest from matchmaker.fm. I've um, actually found it quite useful uh, as a tool, and they don't even pay me to say that. So I'm uh, glad that, that we could converse. Um, you have a very, very interesting dilemma that you've working through during COVID. And uh, 
boy, man, I'm impressed on how you're really taking what could be a complete, you know, cratering of the world and, and, and sort of turning it on its head. Um, but before we talk about that, as I always say, um, how did you do what you're doing today? Well, yes. Yeah, like you said, it's um, interesting times. And I've actually spent a lot of time reflecting on how I got to the point that I'm at and really understanding my journey. And I think it started from, I think it started from a place of almost disillusion or, or, or being unsatisfied with the world. And I was seeing a lot of things going on around me. And this is sort of when I was at university. So, you know, growing up, starting to understand the world a little bit better. And I was looking around and I was seeing a lot of sort of social problems in my area. And quite often I felt there were quite easy fixes. There were ways to take what we were already doing and sort of rework them and rewire them into sort of more operational solutions. You know, so... I took that sort of attitude and I thought, what can I do in my professional life where I can find a way to really empower that and really funnel it into something? And immediately the sort of the sphere of, of employment or, or work that jumped out at me was being an entrepreneur. It was finding ways to almost leave my own mark on the world or, or at least my sort of opinion or, or whatever you want to call it. So straight out of university, after I finished my master's degree, I went straight into the entrepreneurial world. I actually did uh, an MBA uh, for all my sins. I was probably a little bit too young, <laughs> but it made me realize that, you know, the corporate world just wasn't for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, the sooner you realize that, the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I didn't fit very neatly into the boxes or anything like that. So, you know, moving into the startup world was natural. I did my dissertation with them. It was all, you know, it was all pointing in that direction. But I didn't want to work in an existing one. I wanted to work on something sort of new, something novel and something that I, I really, you know, could put my, you know, life and sort of heart and soul into. So I found a like-minded business partner and we set up a marketing agency. And, you know, everything was going great. We niched in really nicely. We bootstrapped the whole thing. So there was no funding. It was all done sort of off, uh, off what we had available at the time. And we started to build our revenue quite nicely. And sort of second year came around, tripled that revenue. Third year came around on course to do the same thing. The team was growing and then COVID hit. <laughs> and for some, for some people in some of my peers, some of my friends, some of people in my network, that's been a fantastic thing, especially in the, the sort of digital marketing space, because, you know, the importance of digital advertising has skyrocketed for some businesses. But we niched into leisure and attractions, which were obviously <laughs> absolutely decimated. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when, you, when you're watching sort of 90, 95% of your revenue disappear over a two-week period, you know that you've got some serious problems coming. So that's how we, you know, so we found ourselves in that position and we had a couple of options. We had a relatively healthy sort of cash reserve that we could sit on. We could try and hibernate and just see what comes out on the other end. And of course, I was against that because, well, nobody knows when the end of it's going to be. Or we had a chance. We had something that we didn't have before, at least something that we weren't aware of. And that was the opportunity to start pursuing something more purposeful. 
that was an opportunity to really empower that sort of lifelong fascination that I, I, I have with finding ways of improving what we already do, of finding ways of sort of rerouting things so they have socially beneficial outcomes on the end of them. And that's how The Good Fight was born, which is my current project, which is about three months away from uh, being taken taken to market. Wow. So it's been a bit of a journey. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a journey indeed. Wow. Riding high in the leisure world of digital marketing and then, wow, seeing it all kind of like go away. <sighs> you, could, you could say it was a bit of a roller coaster, but that's a bit of a <laughs> I like I like that analogy. I will definitely take that, steal that one. Wow, wow, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of businesses, especially in the digital marketing world, e-commerce, that have grown substantially during during the COVID times because you know it just accelerated all that digital, you know, digital e-commerce delivery. You know, the whole how people interact because you know we've all been hanging out at home, right? Having to get stuff delivered or can't go out to leisure activities. But for some, yeah, just <laughs> devastated. Uh, especially like, like say you're a restaurant, man, that's, I mean, around here, I'm in San Francisco and a lot of them have closed and stuff. So, so you mentioned that you had a, a co-founder uh, for your original business. How did you, uh, how'd you guys get together? Well, interestingly, we were both at university together. So my my first degree was in philosophy, hmm. and as was my uh, business partner. So so we met there, and it actually turned out we were both originally from the same hometown without knowing it. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, and my business partners actually decided that I'm not too much of a nightmare to work with, and decided to to move forward into this project with me. So um, it's good. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have someone to sort of counterbalance your your strengths and your weaknesses and i think quite often people they potentially miss that in their entrepreneurial journey they you know it becomes quite insular for people that are, are sole founders and i'm fortunate not to have that issue yeah so sole founder uh startups can be a real grind um and it's like anything because you can't share the burden and with the right person you're right the the, the burden the load gets a little lighter. Um, of course, there's other problems. Can be other problems if they you guys don't match. But it sounds like you found a great uh, great partner in your uh, in your business. That's that's good. And also, even the pivot, like some people aren't aligned on which way to go. Right. That's yeah. another tough thing. So 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 yeah. So tell me a little bit about this this pivot and how how you want to try to. Um, you know, change. I, 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 what's really interesting is I like, I like the way you frame, you know, how to take kind of existing things that are going on and uh, reframe them for good. And especially like depending on your community, like we're, we're dealing with this now. I mean, the world's dealing with this now, but in the U.S. we're dealing with it uh, where communities are struggling to kind of figure out how to rebuild or, you know, recover. Right. Um, what, 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 what is that like process in your mind on how, on how you kind of go through that and figure out like, well, what, what to attack, what, what to use that's currently being done and kind of make it go to good. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting process and it's, 
it's far more magic than it is anything else in the sense that it just sort of plonks you on the head, sort of Newton style. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, there were, there were three key problems that I saw. The first problem was with marketing itself and sort of people's perception towards it. I, I felt from a consumer standpoint that the value being transferred to the actual end user was so low that people were just starting to really get to the end of their tether with it. They really weren't enjoying being part of the marketing process. And, and I, I'd really seen that ramp up in the last couple of years. And I think it's to do with the small business adoption of things like Facebook, <clears throat> Instagram, Twitter, things like that. The, the sort of general quality of the advertising dropped a bit. And there was this real, had this sort of underlying feeling that people felt that marketing now was just a dishonest and untrustworthy venture that essentially artificially inflated demand. So I saw that problem. The next problem I saw was a lot of really worthwhile charities massively struggling with their fundraising, especially the ones that were dependent on corporate sponsors, because everyone across, you know, across the world was was just dropping their charitable budgets because they couldn't maintain them in, in sort of the instability that we were facing. Yeah, for sure. And sort of the third problem was that I think the digital space for a lot of people is stagnating a little bit um, from a, a sort of a company perspective. I think a lot of people now have, have fully developed out their sort of Facebook or social strategies. You know, they're very familiar with Google. And other than moving across to new platforms, I don't actually think a lot of people are thinking in the right way or innovating in the right way to, to really create a new connection with their consumers. So by considering those three problems, that's how we sort of came to the solution of using charitable donations to incentivize marketing outcomes, which is essentially what all of our models do. They use the incentive of a charitable donation on behalf of, of, of that user to then, you know, actually create a completely novel connection with a consumer from a company. So it's, yeah, so it really was just considering a multitude of factors and, and trying to plot some sort of coherent, cogent path through them. And I think we're, we're nearly there. We've nearly got it. <laughs> wow. That's a super interesting idea. You know, I mean, th th there's a company over here called uh, Credo Wireless. I don't know if you've ever heard of Credo. No, I don't think I have. So Credo is a San Francisco based wireless company. Um, very progressive on the political front. And if you're mm -hmm. a Credo customer, what they do is they um, ask you where they should donate some of their profits and usually mm -hmm. their progressive causes. So progressive in the US, I know is different than in the UK or around the world, mm -hmm. but generally, you know, Credo will be like, hey, where should we put the money? So <clears throat> their, their, their advertising and sort of their ethos is one of, we want to champion these progressive causes if you are similar then hey give us your money you can use your phone and so it's sort of like the interactions a little more in depth right so yeah. even though their service may be inferior in some cases you you use it because you believe in the cause right and so yeah. i find it interesting that you've sort of spun around the normally boring well, boring is the wrong word Annoying. I'm going to call it annoying. annoying, you know, digital marketing stuff that's super like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it seems more 
selly selly markety I, I don't even know what to, to call it i mean th- there's this great cartoonist he, he his his name's tom fishburne he does marketunist which i'm such a huge fan of uh and and he he has all these cartoons that sort of like put out how bad marketing can be um but it's in a funny way to to like push back on oh well maybe we should rethink this so i i find this uh an interesting model to pursue because I think more and more, if you want to get above the noise, you're going to need to really f- kind of think really, you know, what's the big idea of your company? What do you stand for? And more importantly, like where are you going to spend your dollars to acquire the kind of customers that you want in, in a thoughtful way? And, and and I haven't seen anyone really do this really well other than some direct to consumer brands like nugs. I don't know if you ever nug nug is this, uh, they're the Tesla of chicken nuggets <laughs> and they're basically vegan chicken nuggets, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they sort of try to do that, you know, liquid death water. I don't know if you've heard of liquid death water. This it's the silliest thing. It's 16 ounce cans of water that look like energy drinks or tall boys, you know, here, like looks like you're drinking beer, but you're really just drinking mountain spring water out of a cool can. Um, but those are more on the gimmick. Gimmicky is the wrong word, but those are more like not on what you're trying to do, which is how do I have, how do I tie charity to like you viewing this ad? Is that the way it works? Like, Oh, you view an ad and then, Oh, the more you view the ad, we give more money to charity. Yeah, so it's that's one of our models. This this as a concept is actually applicable to the entire sort of marketing spectrum, both digital and print. But with a sort of watch to donate video model, it's made immediately clear when the advert's sent out to whomever. So scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, the, the, the first sort of opening three seconds let you know that by watching up to 15 seconds of that video, that the company will make a donation to their chosen charity. So immediately, you know, you're incentivized. Okay, so if I spend 15 seconds just getting to that, you know, getting to that point, that gamified almost bar coming across the bottom of the screen that dings when you get there, by getting there, I know I've done something good. I know that there's a positive outcome. What we've actually found is that when people get to that 15 second point and get that donation, they're actually eight times more likely to watch the video all the way to the end. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting way of, of connecting with people on a, on a far deeper level. I mean, some of the research we've done on this has kicked up some really mad stats. So 90% of users find ads annoying now. I mean, that's crazy. Ne- oh, yeah. Nearly 50% of millennials are using ad blockers. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, everywhere I look, this, this it's, it's all kind of pointing in the same direction. I mean, 84% of consumers, they want their brands and, and the people that they buy from to support charities and engage in social good and all these things. It, it's almost like all these problems are coalescing in the same point. And, and this is one of many solutions that are going to sort of battle it out to be the one that, that, you know, reigns supreme. So yeah, it really is interesting that the, the results are good because at the end of the day, the problems that we face is societies, countries and, and the world it really does require a sort of communal effort and it requires everyone to do their bit. And if businesses can achieve their operational goals or their marketing goals, and on top of that, they can support good causes, then it's, you know, it's a win-win. And again, it goes back to that finding, you know, ways to optimize the existing ways of doing things 
that have better outcomes for everyone. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, there's companies that do this with this, the whole like B Corp model where, oh, we will donate a certain amount of, you know, money for, of our profits. You know, the, the very famous one is uh, Newman's own. I don't know if you know who, I mean, everyone knows who Paul Newman is, but he, he has this company slash charity where makes food products and then all the profit gets donated to charity. So that's of course the sort of the extreme kind of, that's not even a B Corp. That's just sort of like a nonprofit that's building products, which I'm always a big fan of when a nonprofit takes on the responsibility of actually generating revenue as opposed for, you know, yeah, I don't want to call it begging for revenue, but it's similar. Um, I just think that's a non-sustainable business model. But I do think this is an interesting idea because if you can link a good company that's got a good ethos and they're connected to a charity that can benefit from, you know, you doing something as simple as giving your time to watch a video, um, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty novel. And, um, Although I'm I'm sorry that you know ninety percent of your business went away with the with the other thing. Uh, this is a pretty good thing. This is a pretty good thing. Uh, yeah, all these things. We you know we have an option in in times of chaos to either decide that we're going to move forward and see opportunity or revel in the miseries of the past. And you know it it really is sort of vital to the function of society that people and especially entrepreneurs find ways of making things better during these difficult times. And, and that's very much our approach. And, you know, I, there's, I've been fortunate enough that I've never really had to massively benefit from charities, but there's charities out there at the moment that do sort of life-saving work for people yeah. that are really on the cusp of going under. So it's far easier to get up in the morning when you know what you're doing could potentially help those people carry on and, and do the great work that they are. Yeah, and, and and it's a it's a vital it's vital for a functioning society too. Uh, it's it's really interesting because you know, of course, COVID is this massive pandemic worldwide, and of course, everyone's struggling. It doesn't even matter who you are, or or more importantly, it's actually not true. Let me step back. Um, <laughs> the peop the people that are sort of thriving in this had the infrastructure in place before it all hit, right? The ones on the margins. You know, when, when everyone says, oh, we're in it together. Well, we're sort of not in it together because some people, you know, through luck are rich or have, you know, can do their job remotely. And some through sheer luck had their had their livelihood completely taken away from no fault of their own. Uh, and I just find it so interesting that when you see things like these disruptions like that, it really does sh showcase what you're talking about, that entrepreneurs need to find a way to to take this chaos and there's so many opportunities to help and build a good business and you know be profitable and do what we do as entrepreneurs which is create pretty much something from nothing um that if you don't do that like what you know what do you what did you do during this time right and i think it's so interesting because there's going to be a lot of different ways that we work i think after this and hopefully leisure will come back. I, I think it will. <laughs> it may not be immediately. Um, but how how is how has that, you know, how, how did, when you had to deal with all this, like, what's going through your mind? Like, how do you kind of keep that positive 
attitude about, oh, well, chaos, opportunity, where some people would see chaos, oh my gosh, what do I do? Ugh. You know, they freeze. So what 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 in your makeup, in your nature, what have you, what did you, how did you, yeah, how, how did you cope? How do you cope with this? It's a very, it's a very good question. Um, I think it comes down to having that underlying purpose. I think there's a, a great quote that he who has a how can survive almost, he who has a why can survive almost any how. And it's completely true that when there is, a point of which you're sort of aiming at and, and there's something that you consider more important than your life that you want to achieve, then any hardship is just another step on that journey. It becomes a barrier for you to overcome opposed to a discomfort of which you should try and reject and you should try and get away from. And I think it's at the heart of every person, there's sort of two sides. There's one side that really, really wants to strive for more, that wants to strive for better, that wants to be a positive influence. And then there's also that side that's almost desperate to avoid any hardship. The, you know, the voice in the back of your head that tells you, you know, uh, you know, don't try and reach out to that person because, you know, networking can be a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a constant battle between those two sides. But the way that I make sure that I'm always on the right side of that sort of internal disagreement is by always having the big picture in mind and maintaining that sort of compass-like direction towards what I consider my purpose to be. And that's not an easy thing to cultivate at all. And and I'm, I'm fortunate that I stumbled across that being quite a central part of my life at a younger age. But yeah, it, it really is the only sort of antidote to it all is, is, is finding something that's more important than your suffering in that moment. Huh. Yeah. That's a, is that a, that's a very stoic philosophy, do you think? Or, I mean, you're a philosopher, yeah. so we can yeah. go off on the, well, what do you think of stoicism? What do you think? Of- <laughs> yeah, no, it is stoic. It is indeed. Um, yeah. There's been a real resurgence of stoicism uh, over the, the COVID-19 sort of stuff. I keep seeing it in newspapers everywhere. And I think it's because people are, are sort of, recognizing its value and how quite often it's our perspectives opposed to the external events that are happening which defines how we feel towards them so anything that can change perspective in in my eyes is normally a good thing just as long as you're you're sort of careful and conscientious with that yeah yeah i mean no it's it's a good point i mean i have a friend he actually um big fan of stoicism and he got me this coin which I have on my desk, um, which no one can see other than me, but it's the, the obstacle is the way. I don't know if you can see that. Nice. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's, of course, for me, the obstacle. He, he thought this was the best one for me. And he bought him for a bunch of us, our kind of mutual friends. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the struggle and how we interact with the struggle at a base level is within our control like how how the world how we interpret the world is under our control to a first degree now of course if you're destitute you don't have any food and you don't have any money and you're like oh wow the world's pretty pretty horrible it's a lot harder (laughs) to say oh the obstacles of the way oh this is going to be good for me right um but you know as as we as we kind of evolve 
this new way of life, which I don't think is going to be this way forever. I mean, history tells us that it's not going to be. Um, just we've we've actually as a world and a society gone through way worse than this. But mm-hmm. there's still people struggling, and and I agree with you. Like, how do you you know how do you how do you help those that through no fault? This is the thing that I've realized through no fault of their own are now in a predicament that they have they really don't have a lot of control over. Of course, they've got the ability to be stoic, you know, and whatever. But um, when you're hungry and worried about where you're, how you're going to feed your kids, that's a lot harder to do. So, Definitely. yeah. So, so what, what are some of the, the charities that, or I know you're, you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're about to launch this service or you have, or how, how I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how, who has participated, what brands, what are you seeing in the marketplace that says, so, oh yeah, this is a good idea. So at the moment, it's internal testing sort of only prior to the go to market. Uh, so we've, you know, we've we've funded out of our own sort of cash reserves various test campaigns, actually spreading the idea of 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 what it is. So, you know, explainer videos about from a consumer's perspective how the marketing model works, and actually using a donation within that to see how the video watch times grow or shrink depending on the donation amount and all that kind of thing. And it's all been really positive. We've also we're also quite fortunate that we've got quite a few. Um, good uh, people on board that are helping us sort of steer the project, you know, vastly experienced in sort of corporate spaces, advising us and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, we're, we're at the point now where we're introducing it to partners and, and, and finding people that are ready to sort of trial the first pilot campaigns in, in the January period. So uh, yeah, it's good. We've, we've raised a bit of money so far for some loneliness charities, uh, some, some things like that. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's exciting times, but we really still are at that proof of concept and, and still tying that up in a neat bow. And the final part of that equation is is really quantifying how it affects brand reputation. And at the moment, it's looking sort of like a 40% uplift in positivity towards the brand, which wow. is yeah, a really strong figure. Wow. That's like unheard of. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think the, the, way, the, thing, the thing is that people crave genuine interactions yeah. with other people yeah. and if you can humanize a brand and if you can provide something of value in a space where there isn't much value flowing down to the consumer then then you're going to have quite quite strong effects and you're going to have things that you know in in traditional forms just don't really happen so yeah i, I can't really yeah uh, no, that's a good point. Like, what's the real value of marketing to me, the consumer? That's <laughs> just well, annoying. <laughs> that's, that's actually sort of on a more academic level. That's sort of my diagnosis of the situation. That whilst what we discussed earlier, sort of marketing being considered dishonest and artificially creating de- demand and all those sorts of things, that's not actually the key issue that people face. The key issue is that they're battered with so many adverts each day that the majority of them just aren't relevant to them. So it doesn't matter if the marketing is good or not. Most good marketeers I know focus on giving the consumer precisely what they want. The fact is that the distribution tools just aren't accurate enough to actually place it only in front of people that are going to buy. So the issue really is the fact that when you're seeing 5,000 plus adverts a day, which I think it was in 2011. So I wouldn't like oh, to say what it is now. I don't want to know. <laughs> far too many. Far too many of them might be sort of ours. But um, 
when you're seeing sort of thousands upon thousands of adverts per day and, and 99% of them are irrelevant and a product that you're never going to purchase, there's no wonder that you shut off. So, yeah, it, it really is about addressing that sort of value proposition as well. And you can't exactly pay people to watch adverts, or at least when it's been tried, it hasn't worked very well. So this is sort of a novel attempt on on that as well, finding a new way to to actually encourage engagement. Yeah. No, I mean, huh. I never thought of it that way. So so there actually has been some studies on paying people to watch advertisement and they just didn't yeah. didn't go well. So actually um and sort of um well, you know, entrepreneurial efforts, there were the things like um browser extensions that every time you you actually engaged with an ad or watched it over a certain period, you'd accrue credits. Hmm. And those credits could be cashed in for things of monetary value. Hmm. But uh, it never took off because, you know, the, the numbers involved were so small. Right. And I think it's it's the same as if you walk past sort of like a scent on the street, you, you know, you, you might not you might not stop and pick it up. Whereas if you knew that every time that happened, it went to charity, you may actually be more inclined to. And I think that's because in general, sometimes and not for everyone, we're more inclined to help others than we are to help ourselves. So hmm. it's playing on that sort of psychological dynamic as well. Hmm. Huh. Huh. I didn't think of that. I didn't. I, yeah. Well, let's see. I mean, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the whole helping others aspect of it. Do, do you think that it's, I mean, the main, the main driver, I mean, from what you've been researching, do you think it is the main driver of, oh, I can actually do something? I mean, consuming this media is annoying. You know, I really don't care, but I'm willing to take a look at it because, oh, I'm going to help someone's, you know, for loneliness or whatever. Has Have you done any like, surveys on why people engage with the content or is it just the numbers are the numbers? Yeah, the numbers are the numbers at the moment. We're actually sort of about to launch a sort of um, <clears throat> more academic style deeper study into all those sorts of things mm. including all that qualitative stuff but um, speaking very broadly and, and just from my own understanding I think it's because for some of us subconsciously for some of us very consciously we're aware that something's not quite right at the moment and mm. I think that's expressed in sort of the the polarization that we have going on around us yeah. and it's very scary and it's something that I actually find very difficult uh, to, to navigate on a, on a daily basis. But I think a lot of us, we, we don't really know how to help that situation. There's no one size fits all political solution. There's no, you know, there's no, there's nothing that can be done in the next year that's going to resolve all those problems overnight. It's just impossible. So I think what helping others does is it provides us a really tangible way of addressing that deeper unrest that we all know is there in society uh, without really having to make sort of a grand political statement or right. really get our hands dirty on the, the sort of heavy political lifting, which to be honest, I, I stay as far away as I can. <laughs> well, you and me both, you and me both, even though I've got a bunch of friends that are politicians, uh, you know, in, in a way, you know, that's actually a really good point. Cause it, what, what it seems to me is that a lot of this divisiveness has been driven by a lot of these kind of marketing tools where, you know, outrage is benefited, 
right? I mean, and you see this in the algorithms, right? Like, I think, what was it called? The the Social Dilemma. It was. It's a show. I don't know where it's on. Maybe it's on Netflix or something. But yeah, no, yeah. Where, where they go through, like, how the monster that is social media has been created. And more importantly, I mean, that ripples into the marketing, too. So it's probably no doubt or no coincidence that we're getting sick and tired of all this bad marketing, but also that has been driving the wedge. I mean, if you, if you look at what you may see in the UK and what I may see here in the U S for just searching something simple could be vastly different. Um, and all these algorithms are sort of, you know, putting us in the bubble, right? I mean, it's just, it seems, it seems like all of this divisiveness although it may have been underneath the surface has been amplified by the algorithms and trying to get you to do an action that's going to benefit some brand. And I think maybe subconsciously, we're just all like, gosh, really? <laughs> Gonna, you know, another one. <laughs> another one, right. And, 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 you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're onto something with this in terms of people are trying to unwind this decisive bubble nature. I just don't think it's healthy for us to not have, constructive criticism and dialogue amongst people that disagree respectfully. And, you know, I don't know what, I mean, again, you're the philosopher. (laughs) I'm just the armchair philosopher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, Oh, you know, Um, but I mean, is it, do you think that that could be part of it? I mean, you you touched on it a little bit like, Oh, we want to help people, which I think everyone generally, no matter who you are, wants to help. So, I mean, if, if you have the means, this is the best opportunity right now to, to do make a huge impact on someone's life. Someone maybe you don't even know, someone maybe even you disagree with, someone that does it's not as lucky as you. I mean, we're lucky, right? We're on Zoom, you know, recording a podcast. I'm like in my apartment in, you know, San Francisco. I can still work. I mean, even though you had this disruption in your business, look at you came together and now you're, you know, doing something good. So hey, maybe you're right. Maybe it's maybe it's just like we want to help and just don't know how. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm too optimistic. Maybe you know, I'm, that's you know, potentially been levied at me before. But at the same time, I, I am a great believer in people. Mm. It, I, I see the polarization that's sort of everywhere at the moment. I, it's almost like a, in, in some ways sort of um, mirrors the virus mm. in the sense that people seem to get infected with it. Yep. <laughs> and yep. after a certain yep. period, they... They sort of calm down and, and move out of it. But yeah, I, I think the vast majority of people, whether it's because they want to be perceived as a good person or whether it's because there's something more intrinsic to doing good things for other people that satisfies us as individuals, the majority of people do actually want to help people. And they're more than more, they're more than happy to do that if it doesn't require a massive divergence from their everyday lives. So if we took this sort of whole good fight principle of, of incentivizing desired business outcomes with charitable donations, and we applied that across the board, maybe it's for attending school. You know, if, if, if people attend a certain percentage of their, their classes at school in a certain term, then the school agrees to make a charitable donation or whatever, whatever it is, if we can find that actually helping people do good is a, a really valid incentive for making you know, for making things better, then I can't see why that model can't be rolled out. And it's it's much like 
almost something like losing weight really mm. where absolutely smashing yourself in the gym once a week isn't going to do it whereas incremental lifestyle changes and and moving towards slightly better things maybe it's instead of taking the the lift or the elevator you take the stairs mm. and maybe instead of having that you know that sugary snack you have a piece of fruit by by ch- small changes in behavior over a long time period they're amplified out and essentially that sort of thinking is behind this good fight model as well it's like we're we're aware that it's a small change it's a small deviation from the mean in terms of the advertising world but over a long period and if enough of these small changes are made you've got a vastly different outcome and a much more positive one in my opinion yeah no i mean there's this concept in education called i plus one which i literally learned yesterday (laughs) where uh if you want to change behavior or teach someone you know, I is sort of the baseline. Okay, this is what I know. And then you kind of add one to it as you sort of go along. And so then the new I plus one is the old I plus, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the new I is the I plus one. Um, and then that amplifies, right? So, you know, that that's how it kind of grows exponentially because you're just sort of adding up and as you go. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, because... I do think that we have to change the advertising, digital marketing, just paradigm or just, it's so saturated with things that people just don't care about. (laughs) I mean, I'm finding myself more and more like, I don't, I mean, I don't watch the news just because, you know, especially here in the U S right. What's interesting about the news is the news used to be 50 years ago, the place where you went to understand the world. But now the news is a business and the business model is not about understanding the world. It's about advertising dollars and getting you to get angry. Mm -hmm. And you can, there's no doubt in my mind, this is happening and it's doesn't take too much to understand why this is the case because they're driven by profit and fine that that's the capitalism, but that's a bad kind of precedent to set when the consumption of your media, which I think I can, safely go to the consumption of your marketing media as well creates this outrage this you know salacious emotional you know uh you know squeeze page to buy you know all that sort of things like less friction and you know i understand it's commerce and i understand you know there's good there's good and bad with it but like when when the business model is made it is all about making you angry there's a problem. <laughs> There's a problem because we as humans are, I don't know, is it seven, five, seven, ten times more, you know, visceral reaction to loss and danger as we are to good news. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why, like, you know, it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. You don't see yeah. very many nice stories on the news. It's more like problem, 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 problem. Oh, we saved a kitten, you know, (laughs) because it's scary, right? The world, but the world's not that scary. That's the thing. I mean, and and this is the reason why I don't watch the news because it doesn't give me any value. There's no value in me getting outraged about something, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and what's interesting about digital marketing is I think they're going down this path too, because everything's optimized for the algorithm, right? Um, You know, you run an ad and you can like, figure out who bought it and then change the ad, change the creative where you've sort of lost in one sense, you've kind of lost who your company is. Mm -hmm. And I think 
that's bad. You know, I, I don't see that as a good thing. So, so maybe, yeah, maybe this is the first step. Maybe it's the plus one, you know, to try to (laughs) get to a better world. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. Um, I think you're completely right that the businesses have lost their external identity because they're petrified to say the wrong thing. Well, that's true too. Yeah. That's a good point. To step outside of, of, you know, what their current customers are saying or doing. And I don't think that's the right way to, to proceed. I I think, especially from a, a founder's perspective that you need to have a really consistent and strong sort of theme that runs throughout what you're doing. And if you're allowing that to be controlled, completely by the market then you know fundamentally is it really the business it was five ten years ago i don't know wow that's actually a really good point i didn't think of it that way because you i read this article about uh they're calling it uh, what did they call it they called it like the bland brands (laughs) it was a great i mean and I get caught up in this too because, you know, I do PR and marketing for startups, right? And they're always like, oh, how do we, you know, optimize or whatever, right? But it was like a list of all of these brands, mostly e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, and they all kind of look the same. You know, yeah. the, the website's the same, the product design's the same. So they called it like the bland marketing, like, oh, we're just going to kind of be who we are and not offend anyone. And then I don't think it's even offend. I don't. I don't think that's the real problem i think it's the oversensitivity towards disagreement and oh, yes. the yeah. the public square analogy of we kind of got to fight with these ideas and we got to like you know wrestle around a little bit and you know if you're if if you're a you know combat sports person or you're a extreme sports person you you understand this really well because you have to kind of fight it and it's not a bad thing. Like, you know, I, I do jujitsu. So when I go roll with someone, I'm not trying to kill them, but we're still <laughs> fighting. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. still trying to like submit you. But yeah. at the end of the day, we're all trying to get better. And 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 I think, man, maybe you're right. Maybe we just but, lost that kind of we've lost our way in disagreement in a way that we can kind of find the best idea. Because you're right, this whole cancel culture thing. It's not good. I don't care who, what side of the aisle you're on. And, and it's funny because, you know, both sides sort of come together as a circle, right? Both extremes are just exactly <laughs> the same, right? yeah. you know, you know, and it, it, it's just, I don't know. I, so, so we, we we're digressing, but I think you're on some. Well, you know, how are you supposed to reject the bad ideas if you never hear them? Ah, exactly. Yeah, I, it's an interesting climate. I mean, I, I think it it should hopefully calm down after you guys have uh, you know had your election and all that out. But who knows, you know? But um, yeah, it's it's not good on either side of the fence um, in terms of of removing things from from discourse. I, I mean, you've got to have more trust in people that they're capable of of spotting a bad idea and recognizing when it's harmful to people. And I think to to take away people's autonomy in that way, to say to them that they can't be trusted to even hear these ideas or for them to be in the public domain is is somewhat intellectually insulting, perhaps. But, you know, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, I'm not I'm not in the the front lines of all these things. I, I don't know about these problems firsthand. So I can only give my my very 
you know insular and and almost introverted perspective on it so yeah but you know yeah. questions for our times they really are and uh, you know they're the questions that really are going to define the next five to ten years i think yeah about how how are we going to regulate speech in in the face of of social media and in the face of the internet and how are we actually going to organize our communities and whom is going to ultimately be responsible for that i I don't really think it should be the social media companies because i don't know how how far removed they then are from being publishing companies and and working on the same model as almost the newspapers and i'm also very reluctant for 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 government to take that sort of role so I, i really don't know who's going to do it or where it's going to come from so yeah, we we, yeah. we grappled time. with these types of questions before, mm-hmm. and um, you know now it's I think even worse because we have so much access to technology and the algorithms, and you know you can optimize your way into a bubble pretty fast. Yeah, it doesn't take much, right? And now nowadays I'm just so skeptical. I'm not, well. I'm skeptical of everything I see on the internet and I'm also really trying to have what I call guardrails up to kind of see where I'm at in the world. Like not, not, it's not like a wishy-washy flip-floppy thing, but it's sort of like, okay, what are the boundary conditions of this problem? Right. And, 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 and the only way you can do that is by hearing these bad ideas. Um, and I think, I think, you know, getting back to what you guys are trying to do with the good fight, um, also, you know, digital marketing does need to step up and stop optimizing the algorithm to become some bland blah adding to the static of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe what you're doing will, will help that. I mean, it's certainly worth a try. I mean, I I do commend you on. I mean, it is the good fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 my it's mine and my business partner's contribution to the world. And whilst I think sort of long term, say you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years in the future, I'm probably more interested in going back into the the sort of debates on a philosophical level. I think at this moment, this is the best place I could be to offer my sort of take on things and 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 actually make uh, make an improvement on what I see going on around me. So. Yeah, you've got to do what you can. And uh, like you said, the good fight. <laughs> well, I think we'll end there because I really appreciate your time. And again, <laughs> keep up the good fight and stay safe. And uh, we'll be in touch. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.